Scripture reading today comes from Acts 16, verses 11 through 18. Again, that's Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 18. And the word of God reads, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Simothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you'll judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the Most High of God, who have proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This is the word of the Lord to us. Uh, We've been making our way through Acts. We've come to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 18. We have here two accounts. I like to call two salvations but one Savior. You know, one of the interesting things and unique things about Christianity is what Christ says in John chapter 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father except through me. One of the unique claims of Christianity is that there is only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. No one comes to God. No one enters into the kingdom. No one knows God unto salvation except that they know God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And yet if I was to survey the church this morning, if we were to do a a survey and, and, and try to find out and to ascertain from all of us here, how did we come to know Jesus? Dare I say that I am confident that there would be as many and as varied stories as they are say, as there are saved souls in this place this morning. There is only one way to God, that is through Jesus Christ, but there have been multiple ways in which people have come to Christ. This is the university of Christianity, beloved. The unity in the midst of diversity that is at the heart of Christianity. God creates us all different, gives us various and different experiences, and then gives us diverse paths of leading us into faith. I hear some of your stories from the time to time, and I am amazed that you are even saved. 
it is amazing to me that you are here this morning knowing where you have come from. And then I hear other of your stories, and I am envious. I am envious that you walked faithfully with the Lord from such a young age, knowing how many regrets many of us have for straying for so long. And yet, and still, beloved, no matter when, whether sooner or later, and no matter how, whether all alone or in a crowd, the who is always the same. Because the who is Jesus. We all got different winds and we all got different hows. But if you saved, you got to have the same who. And that who, beloved, is Jesus. This is the unity in the midst of diversity that is the salvation in Christ Jesus. We see this unity of salvation in diversity of the experience as the gospel comes to Philippi in Acts chapter 16. In fact, I am convinced that this is what our text presses upon us this morning, that there is this unity in the midst of diversity. What we have in our text this morning is this account of these two wonderful salvation stories wrought by one wonderful Savior. If I might rehearse for you a little bit the context, if you've been here, you're familiar with it somewhat. It's chapter 16 opens up. Remember last week we talked about how Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and the rest of the team were were setting out on this missionary journey. And they are where they are because you might remember that they had been directed and even redirected by God the Holy Spirit. That Paul and Silas had determined that they were going to go into Asia and God said no. They had determined that they were going to go to Bithynia and God said no. And God directed them to the district of Macedonia And having followed the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, going through the district of Macedonia, they finally land in what is known as the city of Philippi. Philippi. Philippi is an important city and will play a major role in the life of, of Paul and indeed in the life of the early church community. It could be argued that it was his favorite church community. He comes to Philippi not realizing the depth of relationships that he would eventually establish there in Philippi. He comes there not realizing the lasting community that would be built there because of his and the other's initial ministry there. He would find saints in Philippi who had a like mind and like heart. We see in chapter 16 the significance of this trip because chapter 16 is taken up completely with the time that 
these missionaries spent in Philippi. And the wonderful ministry that God gave them there. We are not told how long Paul and Silas and his missionary team spent in Philippi, but we do know this, beloved, that it was a significant ministry there because chapter 16 is the longest account that we have in the Bible of Paul's ministry in any European city. Whole chapters taken up with his time in Philippi. And Philippi is called in our text a, a leading city, and perhaps it was very prominent in the, in the culture and indeed in the life of the Macedonian district. But I'm convinced that his leading ultimately, beloved, was due because of those whom God had touched, those whom God delivered, those whom God saved in Philippi. They would, come, they would become significant names. They would become the movers and the shakers there in the church that is Philippi. The first one we meet is a woman named Lydia. The second one we meet is a young girl who has no name. The one, first one, she was saved from self-confidence. And the second one was saved from Satan's control. But they both were saved by Jesus. There is an interesting kind of just a positioning of these two salvation stories. Paul and his team when they normally got to a city, their normal practice, you might recall, was to go to the synagogue. To go to the synagogue because there at the synagogue, on the Sabbath, people would be gathering for prayer and they would go and preach the gospel to those who are already there opening the scriptures and praying to God. But when they get to Philippi, apparently, beloved, there is no synagogue. There is no synagogue, and so the missionaries here are having to engage a different strategy. And they look around, and they listen to where people are meeting for prayer and what the religious communities are doing around Philippi, and they discover that there is this prayer meeting just outside the city, down by the riverside. And there down by the riverside are these ladies who are gathering for prayer. And what does Paul and his team do? Well, his team, they go out and they meet with these ladies. And as these ladies are gathering for prayer, Paul and his team begin to preach to them. And they spoke to them of the glories of Christ. They spoke to them about Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. They spoke to them of the glories of the kingdom and how the kingdom has come and now you are to receive this kingdom by faith alone. And they spoke this word to them. One woman was particularly moved 
The Bible says that her name was Lydia. Now, Lydia, it would seem she had it all. She was no doubt quite confident woman. Because she had it all. On the surface, she would be one who seemed to have her life together. You would have looked at Lydia and listened to Lydia and known Lydia, and you would not even have witnessed to her the gospel because you would assume a woman like that must be saved. We do it all the time. Because on the outside, it seems like she has it all together. She has an ordered life. She has a confident life. She's confident in life because, one, she is wealthy. Man, that's what money does. You get a little money in your pocket and you walk a little straighter. You hold your head up a little higher. That's what money does. It gives you this sense of false confidence and false assurance. She was a wealthy woman. In a world dominated by men, She was a successful businesswoman. That's how you know she's confident. Because she lived in a world that was dominated by men. And yet here she is, a successful businesswoman. The Bible says that she was a seller of purple goods. A living translation translates that, translates that as a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Expensive purple cloth. Purple, beloved, was the color of money. That's what it was. It was the color of money. Purple was the color of expense. It was the color of privilege. It was the color of prestige. It was worn by rulers and those significant and those who had statue in the culture. And these are the garments that she made. These are the clothes that she sewed. These are the cloths. These are the fabrics from which she designed and sewed her clothes. Hers was an upscale boutique, you might say. She sold her wares among the rich and the famous. Today, her fashions might be on Project Runway. Or perhaps if she had her own reality television show, it would be called Designer to the Stars. He was well known, no doubt. And it's proved to be very profitable. And we know it was profitable because, first of all, we know her name. And if she wasn't known, if she wasn't significant, if she wasn't prominent, you would not know her name. But here was a woman in a culture that is dominated by men. And people knew her name. 
we would welcome. Not only because we know her name, but we know something about her lodgings. Her home was large enough to welcome a large group of men into it and to feed them and to comfortably host them. She was wealthy. That gave her a sense of confidence. But not only was she wealthy, beloved, the Bible here says also that she was spiritual. Wealth had not made her an atheist. Wealth had not made her abandon the church as it often does. But no, she was spiritual. And even though she was rich, she she gravitated toward these religious ladies. And even though she was a Gentile, she met with some of these Jewish women and ladies for prayer. Like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2. She was a devout woman. She feared God. In fact, the text says that she was a worshiper of God. She was a religious lady. She attended prayer meetings. She went to church. She read her Bible. By all outward signs, she was good. And yet, as many of us know, or we should know, outward signs can be deceiving. Outward appearances often give us the wrong impression. She was wealthy, yes. She was spiritual, yes. But she was lost. Lost. She was lost. That's hard for some people to understand, particularly in America. Because in America, we believe that wealth, education, and religion are saviors. You must be saved. You must be blessed. You got money, you got education, and you go to church? We see people like Oprah Winfrey, Lydia, Oprah. Wealth, spiritual, we believe she must be saved. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, quoting Isaiah, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen, beloved, money plus religion equals nothing apart from Christ. Money plus religion equals nothing apart from Christ. Don't take my word for it. Ask the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. Money plus religion equals nothing apart from Christ. Someone has said that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. If that is true, beloved, I am convinced that the second greatest trick that the devil has ever pulled is convincing people that if they go to church, if they read their Bible, if they pay their tithes, if they say grace before eating and prayers before they go to bed, they must be saved. 
people have been deceived into believing that they are saved simply because they say grace before they eat. They bow down and say prayers before they go to bed. They come to church and they know the songs. Beloved, you can be just as lost with a large bank account as you can be with no bank account at all. You can be just as lost living in a high rise on West Peachtree as you can living under the underpass at Tent City. Just as lost. Lydia, contrary to probably public opinion, she was And yet, by the grace of God, she was saved. No doubt, beloved, Lydia had played and prayed many days out there with those ladies. She probably had read the Bible. I'm sure she even gave alms when it was time. But for the first time, she heard the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. That changed everything. How is she here? She heard because Jesus was preached. That's how she heard. Because Jesus was preached. The Bible says that Paul preached. Preached the gospel. This is the reason why the team was sent to Philippi. They probably didn't know it at the time. They don't know why they couldn't go into Asia. They don't know why they couldn't go to Bithynia. And then when they get to Philippi, all they got is these ladies meeting by this river. At the best you got, God. And yet they did as they were told. And they preached to a prayer meeting of all places. And someone there heard Jesus. People like to ask the question, what are they preaching on in church? We said, we're preaching the gospel. Said, well, that's all y'all preaching? Yep. Well, why are you always preaching the gospel? Isn't there other things to preach? Nope. Because we are never under the assumption that everyone who sits in these chairs knows who Jesus is. And so we preach Christ. Because that, beloved, is all of our greatest need. And to this prayer meeting, Paul preached Jesus. And for the first time, Lydia heard Christ. By Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, says, How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? 
And how are they to hear without a preacher? And so Paul preached. And yet, beloved, also we see in our text here that it is more than just preaching. It is more than just preaching because if it was just preaching, then the whole world would be saved. Everyone here would be saved. But it is more than just preaching. She was saved not only because Christ was preached, but she was saved because God gave her ears to hear. Don't miss that. God gave her ears to hear. To what it says in verse 14, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by is why the Bible says over and over and over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. The question that you should be asking when you read that or you hear that, it says, you should be asking is, where do I get those ears? My beloved, you can't go down to Walmart and buy them. They don't have a workshop, a do-it-yourself workshop at Home Depot on how to get these ears. How do you get these ears? Beloved, if you would see Jesus, God is going to have to open blinded eyes. If you would hear Jesus, God is going to have to open deaf ears. If you would receive Christ into your heart, God is going to have to soften and open a hard heart. That's why the song is right. When it says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Because I want to see you. I want to see you. God opened the heart of Lydia, and behold, she saw Christ high and lifted up. Beloved, I don't care. I don't care the what of your story. I don't care the when of your story. At some point in time, you have to say that God opened your heart. Heart. You have to get to opening your eyes so that you could see Jesus. I don't care who prayed. I don't care who preached. God opens hearts. God opens blinded eyes. God unplugs deaf ears. This is the comfort that which I stand before you today, beloved. If your understanding ultimately was based upon my being eloquent and whimsical, we might as well just shut the doors. But I am confident. I am confident that the Spirit of God is at work in people's hearts. And he is yet still today opening hearts 
so that you might understand what I am saying. That's what I want to hear. Tell me that the Lord has opened your heart today so that you might understand better who Jesus is. Don't come to me and say, wow, pastor, that was a long sermon. Or pastor, that was a short sermon. I know how long and short the sermon is. Tell me that you understood something new from the word of God today. Tell me that the spirit of God is working in your heart, revealing truth to you and changing your life at the moment that you're hearing it. That's what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I already know. Tell me what God is doing in your life. You imagine when Lydia expresses to Paul and Silas, my heart was strangely warmed at the preaching of the gospel. What I have been longing for and didn't really know I needed, now I know who it is. It's Christ. It's Christ. Come to my home. Listen, family. Listen, listen. Here is this wealthy woman. She had it all. Wealth. Position, ability, notoriety, class, houses, cars, all. And when she heard about Christ, it all became nothing compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus. My home is your home. My possessions are your possessions. What do you need, Paul, for the ministry? What does the ministry need? Do you need a home to stay in? My doors are open. Do you need resources and supplies? They are at your disposal. Why? Because I have seen Jesus and I count all this as nothing compared to knowing him. a woman, you know she got saved. You know she got saved. Because now her home was no longer her home. Her business was not just her business. Her life was not just her life. This was her story. This was her song, praising her Savior all the day long. No more self-confidence. Now only Christ's confidence. No more self-assurance. Now only Christ's assurance. No more self-justification. Now only justification by faith in Christ alone. No more trusting in myself, but trusting in Christ. This is my life. That's her story. Is it yours? That's not the only story we see here. We see the story of another. One, not saved from self-confidence, the very opposite of that. She's under Satan's control. After, you know, Lydia says, come to my house. And after they settle into Lydia's house, can you imagine? They weren't expecting these type of accommodations. 
They've been on the road. They've been on the road a long time. And suddenly they come to Philippi and they have luxury accommodations. They done settled into Lydia's house and her house is going to be the base out of which they do ministry in Philippi. They're excited. They're so excited. You know what Paul and his, and his friends do? Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, you know what they do? They go back down by the river. We got one down there. Let's see if we can get another one. They going to the prayer meeting. And on their way to the prayer meeting, beloved, says, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. Slave girl. Beloved, a slave. Girl. She was property. Unlike Lydia, this girl did not own property. She was property herself. She was property. She had no place in society but to do as she was told to do. She was a slave. And not only was she a slave, but she was a female slave. It's one thing to be a slave, but to be a female slave was to be at the bottom rung of the bottom of the totem pole. So much so that she had no name. She was bought and sold and leased out by those who owned her. She was not her own. She belonged to her owners, she belonged to the streets. And most distressing of all, she belonged to Satan. Because not only was she property, but she was possessed. So then that made her no ordinary slave. She was no ordinary slave because for her owner, she was a money maker. She was a money maker. She was possessed by a demonic spirit. The Bible says a spirit of divination or a fortune-telling spirit. Fortune-telling, divination, sorcery. Beloved, these things belong to the demonic realm. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, again in verse 10, God says to Israel, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering or anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. What's wrong with such things as that, beloved? What's wrong with such practices as those is that those practices seek to undermine the sovereignty and authority of God. For what those practices do, they do as the serpent did with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
is try to convince you that you can seek and attain knowledge that only belongs to God. You want knowledge of tomorrow, knowledge of next year. That is not your knowledge. That belongs to God. And that's why Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Don't go dabbling off into those things. Today has enough troubles in it to be having to worry about next year or even tomorrow. Did she really tell the future? Of course not. Of course not. She couldn't tell the future. The trick of the enemy. She could tell the future no more than Madam Bell can tell you it today. She can't tell the future anymore than the money you would spend calling 1-900-PSYCHIC. The trick of the enemy. The sly and deceitful trick. It is a false sign and false wonders. And her owners took advantage of her, and Satan took advantage of her, and she was a slave to both. This made her, not only was she property, and not only was she possessed, but Now she's a problem. She's a problem because she's stalking Paul and the missionary team. Probably the first time that he saw her, she said, I can tell your fortune. I can tell your fortune. Paul said, girl, get away from him. (laughs) She realized that they were not going to fall for her tricks. They were not going to be deceived by the demonic presence. And so instead of getting them to buy into her deception, she proceeds, she proceeds to join the team. She's going to join the team. And every day, every day, every day, every day, She walks after Paul and the team, and Paul is not pleased at all. Someone has said, rightly so, beloved, wherever God erects a house of prayer, Satan is sure to build a chapel there. Wherever God erects a house of prayer, you best believe that Satan will get busy there. And here he is. And here he is. She dogged the team every day, saying behind them, yelling out for all to hear, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Sounds true enough. Sounds true, doesn't it? And yet, to some degree, it is true, beloved. They are servants of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming the way of salvation. But we need to understand that God is not interested, does not want, nor does he need the testimony of Satan and his demons. 
Doesn't need it. Remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, when, when Jesus comes to the man possessed by a demon, and the demon knows who Jesus is, though nobody else around there knows who Jesus is, and the demon says and calls Jesus the Holy One of God. And what does Jesus do? Tells the demon to shut up. Quiet it up. And so here's Paul. He's irritated, he's annoyed, he's irked. And beloved, to allow her to continue saying these things in one sense would validate her. For now she is actually speaking truth. And you do know this is the scheme of the enemy. That's why the Bible tells us that we should not be unwary, that we should be aware of the schemes of the devil. Satan don't tell all lies. Because if he told all lies, you wouldn't believe him. So he mixes truth in there with lies. And those who are discerning understand that. And that's why Paul, even though she speaks the truth, is not interested in her truth because if you validate her on this, you will begin to validate her on all her lies as well. So he's irked. He's not wanting to give the impression that she is a speaker of truth or give the impression that we are all on the same team. What does Paul do? Paul, like Peter in Acts chapter 3, turns to this little girl and calls upon the name of Jesus. And he commands the demon to come out of her in the name of Jesus. Because, beloved, the authority of God is greater than the authority of Satan. The authority of God is greater than her own owners. And where Satan would bind and where her owners would bind her, Jesus comes and sets you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And she said, she said, just like Lydia before her, this young girl had heard the message of the gospel. She had heard Paul and Silas preaching because she even said, these men proclaim to you the way of salvation. She heard it. She had heard them preaching day after day. She had been there. It had, it had come to her ears, but it had not yet gotten to her heart. She had heard it, but that day, she knew it. That day, she experienced it, and it changed her life. Now, isn't it interesting? We are not told, like Lydia, that she was baptized. We are not told that she believed. But beloved, I am convinced that we need not wonder whether or not Paul left that little girl there spiritually naked. You can best believe, beloved, that when God takes one from Satan, he makes that one his own. 
Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, but it doesn't stop there, does it? He doesn't just deliver you from the domain of darkness, but then the Bible says that he transfers you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And to rescue that girl from darkness is to bring her into the light. To rescue her from the bondage of Satan is to bring her into the kingdom of God. Satan had no more use for her. Her owners had no more use for her. But God did. And here's the amazing thing, beloved, that no doubt that once she's rescued from Satan's power, where does she go? She goes to Lydia's house. This demon-possessed little street girl is now in fellowship with the designer of the stars. Where but the church do you see that, beloved? That is the nature of the church. You look around you today, you don't know their stories. You don't know where they came from. You don't know where they have been. you know that they know the Jesus who saved you. The stories are different. The who is different. The when is different. But the who is still the same. The when and the where may be different. But the who is still the same. I love these accounts. I love these accounts because they remind us, beloved, that there is a diversity in God. And no one, no one gets saved apart from Christ, and yet no two people come to Christ the same way. Look at this. But you do know the road to hell does not discriminate, right? It does not discriminate. Both of these ladies were on it. One was on the road to hell at the riverside singing Kumbaya. And the other was on the road to hell on the streets singing, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. One was on the road to hell going from a plush penthouse. And the other was on the road to hell going from the squalor of slave quarters. One was going as she went to prayer meeting on the Sabbath. And the other was going as she walked the streets, blaspheming in the name of Christ. But they both were going because the road to hell, beloved, does not discriminate. But here's the good news. The grace of God is no respecter of person either. The grace of God is no respecter of person either. And this grace can and does abound to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And you see it here because grace came to both of them. One was in a prayer meeting. 
and the grace of God came. And the other one was on the streets. The grace of God came. One had a prominent name and the other had no name at all, but the grace of God still came. One experienced the power of God in the quietness of our heart in the midst of a prayer meeting. And the other one experienced the power of God in the middle of the street. One After she was saved, led Paul and Barnabas to a nice home with a warm meal. And the other one, after she was saved, landed them in prison. That's the grace of God. Anytime, anywhere, anyone, the stories and the circumstances may be different. But the Savior is always the same. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I don't care. From the White House to the outhouse, Jesus saves. From the, from the uttermost to the guttermost, it is Jesus who saves. From the poor to the popular, it is Jesus who saves. From the rich to the raggedy, it is Jesus who saves. From the greediness of Wall Street to the meanness of the streets of South Atlanta, it is Jesus who saves. From prisons to the pew, it is Jesus who saves. Here's the question. Has he saved you this morning? I'm not talking... Have you read your Bible? And I'm not saying if you're going to say your prayers tonight. I'm saying, do you know the Jesus? Has he opened the eyes of your heart? You say, how can I know? Except I have a preacher. Well, you have him today. The word of God is near you. It is so near to you that the grace of God is even on your lips. That if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved today because Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Is that your story? Is that your song? Can you, can you honestly sing the praises of your Savior all the day long? Jesus saved me. The Savior.